Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You are in the gun with Skylar Callen and the signal caller, Jed Drenning. Uh, today, we're going to talk about the non-conference games in the Big 12, the ones to watch for, the ones that catch our eye, the ones that you should maybe uh, flip on whenever that, that week comes along. we got week zero coming up here um, relatively soon, and right around the corner after that is some of these intriguing Big 12 games, so we're going to get to that in just a second, but quick. A word from our sponsor here at BetOnline. BetOnline is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. BetOnline continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting in your favorite favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use the promo code BELIEVE, that is B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. And Jed, there's a lot of really good, interesting matchups on this schedule. Now, of course, when you look at it from top to bottom, West Virginia's got the most difficult non-conference schedule out of any of them, and it's not even close. We're going to get to that in our next episode. We're going to talk about uh, the entire schedule, how West Virginia fares against ranked opponents. Be sure to check that out also on In the Gun on YouTube. But let's start here with week one. There's a there's a few matchups, obviously West Virginia, Penn State, which we'll dive more into. But um, which games catch your eye here in week one in non-conference play? Well, one of the games is, uh, for a host of reasons, going to be West Virginia, Penn State, under the lights, Happy Valley, uh, everything that you hoped for and more from a, an opening weekend matchup standpoint. Obviously, one that folks are going to be paying a lot of attention to, again, for a number of reasons, Colorado. In primetime, Deion Sanders' first game goes on the road to Fort Worth, Damon G. Carter Stadium, and takes on Sonny Dykes' TCU Horned Frogs. Of course, uh, coming off that banner season in which they advanced all the way to the national championship game before getting throttled, shaping up to be a pretty interesting matchup. First of all, seems tilted in the sense that the odds makers are pegging the Frogs as about a three-touchdown favorite. Again, remember a big part of the reason Dion was brought in. This is a massive rebuild in Boulder, Colorado, a massive rebuild. So let's start with this. Very few things about Colorado will most people recognize when they step on the field to open the season. And I would include TCU, uh, who opened the season at Boulder last year. Now, folks forget uh, it was a late game. TCU opened the season at Colorado last year, and it was a strange matchup. First of all, Max Duggan didn't get the start. Uh, only because of an injury did he even get in the game, and the rest is history in terms of how his season unfolded. But this was a 7-6 to six game at the half. I mean, the Frogs were really struggling uh, on the offensive side of the football. And in the second half, they kind of opened some things up. You had a punt return for a touchdown. They ran a reverse for a touchdown. Sonny Dykes really had to get fast and loose with the playbook to shake some things open for them. And and once they got cranking, they got cranking. But it was a, an ugly start, but uh, an efficient finish uh, at Colorado. But now everybody wonders, what is this Colorado football team that has completely been rebuilt, retooled, going to look like? Heading into Amon G. Carter, and for that matter, what are the Frogs going to look like? They, they lost a ton of talent on both sides of the football as well. So an interesting matchup, but Vegas 
is leaning pretty heavy toward the uh, the frogs in this one. So I think it's an interesting matchup to pay attention for those reasons. And of course, not even get into the fact that it's kind of a preliminary conference game in 2024 when these yeah. two teams, if they're on the same schedule, uh, it will be a big 12 conference game. That's one of a couple of these games on the schedule that we'll talk about. But those are my thoughts on that one. Yeah, I, I'm really intrigued about that one. Shadur Sanders, you know, Deion Sun, how he looks at quarterback. He's making that jump, too. Everyone expects he's going to be in that race for the Heisman. I don't know if I'm quite there yet with, with Shadur Sanders. I, he's got to prove it to me at this level first before we can start putting that kind of recognition on his name. Um, but I'm, I'm right there with you with that game. But there's also one game on this uh, week one slate that I think is very sneaky and underrated. Probably doesn't have the lust and the lure that that game does have, and that's Utsa and Houston. Okay, UTSA has been very, very good in the last couple of seasons under Jeff Trail. He's really turned that thing around. Frank Harris has been a quarterback. Seems like he's in his 12th season there, true dual-threat kid. I think UTSA could actually win this game. We talked about Houston in in previews. They are losing a ton of talent. UTSA could sneak up on them and win this game in week one. Yeah, Houston has scheduled appropriately. They don't want to stub their toe in non-conference play, and they want to avoid limping into league play. But you hit on it, Skyler. When when this game was scheduled, I'm not so sure that the admin at Houston saw what UTSA might develop into. And you mentioned Harris. Uh, that kid is the real deal. He's legit. I think he's going to play on Sundays or at least make a roster and have a nice career at it. Uh, he's on a lot of Heisman dark horse lists. So, yeah, the last thing that uh, Dana and company need is to step into town against the likes of UTSA and and uh, and struggle against them and and have an L instead of a W to get things rolling. Yeah, that would definitely not make uh, the fans or the administration down there very happy in their first year in the Big 12. But, hey, that's just that's what you set yourself up for. So uh, before we get into week two here, of, of course, this episode brought to you by Toothman Ford. We all know cars cost less in Grafton. And Jed, this is maybe the most action-packed week in terms of uh, non-conference. And it's not just the Big 12. It's all across the college football. But it seems like week two's kind of been this, this uh, week where there's all these good matchups. And there's a few of those games, like you mentioned, that are going to be future conference games here. You've got Utah Baylor. You've got Oklahoma State and Arizona State sitting there. So there's two of them. Which uh, games in this week's slate are you really most appealed to? I'd start with Illinois at Kansas. Uh, that's a big game for the that Kansas State yeah. It's a big gig. It's a big game for the Fighting Illini. Uh, I tell you what, Brett Bielema has done a good job of rejuvenating that program in short notice. Uh, and with a very short turnaround in Champaign. Uh, I mean, he even just made an addition in the last couple of weeks. Owen's homeboy, Jim Leonard. I mean, when you're signing Jim Leonard, a coach as talented as Jim Leonard to your staff as a senior analyst, yeah. you're really cooking with gas from a staff standpoint because a guy like that's going to bring a lot of value, fit right in. You're talking about an Illinois team that was number one in the Big 12 in scoring defense last year. So how fascinating is it going to watch that be to watch that unit go on the road under the lights on a Friday night at the booth, which I guess I, I, I'm guessing it's going to be sold out for an environment like that. They had three sellouts last year. Lance Leipold has done such a tremendous job of, of bringing some energy back into that program. So Jalen Daniels against that Illinois defense, I, I think that's going to be worth the price of admission. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is the first time in years that Kansas had expectations going into the season, right? Everyone forgets Illinois. that. 
last year, no one knew that that was coming, that 5-0 and start that they had. That was kind of built up as the season went on. So this is the first – this is foreign territory for the Jayhawks. Um, for me, I think – I don't want to go to the easy one here because that's, that's Texas and Bama. Um, but I'm going to go with – I'm going to go with another off their kind of radar path here, UCF and Boise State. Mm. At Boise State, actually. Boise State, we know, has been a very good group of five teams for a very long time. UCF kind of played their way into that same conversation the last few years. If you would have told me two or three years ago that UCF would be in a Power Five conference before Boise State, I would have said you're crazy. I thought Boise would have maybe eventually made its way to the Pac-12. For whatever reason, the Pac-12 just kind of sat on their hands and didn't do anything, and we all know what happened to that conference. So – um, but I think this is a really good test for UCF early in the season to play a quality football team on the road before they get into Big 12 play. And if they can go to Boise and win this game and win it convincingly, which I think they have the ability to do, that's going to put them on the map in terms of the Big 12, the AP voters. I think that's a very interesting game. John Reese Plumley, that's one that's going to really get my attention for sure. Well, on the Smurf turf, I, I, that's one of those oh, yeah. games – Skyler, that had UCF known a handful of years ago when this game was scheduled that they would be entering the Big 12, yeah, this game probably would be on the schedule. You're not going to the Smurf turf to kick off, you know, your your time as a Big 12 program. So interesting. Uh, I'm going to keep them in order. I, I'm going to go to the obvious candidate for a couple reasons. Texas at Alabama. Now, again, it wasn't that long ago, 12 months ago, speaking of Kansas, it was the day we played Kansas in Morgantown where it was wet and soggy. And, and we were up in the booth during pregame watching the end of this at the time, Alabama at Texas and DKR. And of course, what happened was Burt Auburn kicked the uh, go ahead field goal with 129 to go to put Texas up 19 to 17. And everybody was saying, Oh, how ironic is that a kicker named Auburn could beat Alabama. And I'm like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. pump the brakes. Uh, I think it's kind of hilarious under these circumstances that people think Texas is going to win this game. I mean, this yeah. is a script that you just handed Bryce Young. Hey, you know that thing you do 100% of the time, drive the field, get us in field goal range, go, go ahead and do it for us real fast. And sure enough, he did. He drove eight plays, an efficient drive. They got into field goal range. They won the game on that field goal at the end. But I will say it kind of felt like Texas outplayed the tide that day. They did. So uh, you got to wonder it wouldn't be what's more Texas to me. Nothing's more Texas than going in to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, shocking the world, upsetting Nick Saban's Crimson Tide, coming back, taking care of business against Wyoming the next week, and then going to Baylor and getting dusted two weeks later. I mean, I could easily see that play out. Right. But here's what gives me pause. I mean, I, I could see a scenario that Texas announces to the world, Hey, we are back. We're going to Alabama. Watch what happens here. How do you handle that prosperity if you pull it off is question one. But what gives me pause, you know, the rat poison that Nick Saban loves oh. to talk about? There hasn't been a whole lot of rat poison in Tuscaloosa this offseason. There hasn't been a whole lot of love. There haven't been a whole lot of hands patting these guys on the behind. Matter of fact, they're hearing to the contrary things like, could this be the first year in so many years under Saban that they've lost three games in a season? That's the kind of chatter. And Nick Saban relishes that. Nick Saban loves that. So I'm never going to bet against Nick Saban. I'm never going to sell Nick Saban short. Something tells me he's going to have his football team supremely ready for this season. 
including that early season matchup against the Longhorns. So either way you stack it, it's going to be a fascinating thing to watch. Yeah, I mean, they've got a huge quarterback battle as well. I mean, they've got three guys battling for that. I don't know that they are even close to settling that either. So that's that's a little unfamiliar territory for Alabama with the recent stream of quarterbacks that they've been pumping yes. into the belt. So um, I'm going to go Good a little under order. We're going to still stay here week two. But yep. I'm going with Tyler Shuck facing his old team, hosting his old team, Oregon. Oregon at Texas Tech. Everyone's on this Bo Nix train. And I, as much as I'd love to get on that train, I just I can't do it just yet. I still remember the Bo Nix at Auburn that couldn't win a game on the road and looked completely different on the road when he, when he played at Auburn in the SEC. I don't know that Oregon's going to have to have that type of a rigorous schedule for him to have those kind of splits again. But this is a tricky, tricky game for Oregon. I think they're the better team. But playing in Lubbock against Tyler Shuck, who has got something to prove in this game, this is a very good test um, for Tech, too, to really go out there and prove that they are worth that preseason ranking. It is. And they open the season, strangely enough, at Wyoming, which that's kind of a curious game. Traveling up up into the mountains of Wyoming before you're getting ready in week two for the 15th-ranked Ducks coming to town. So they're going to have their hands full surviving that and advancing unbeaten to this game against uh, Oregon. But I expect them to do so now. From a matchup standpoint, I, I think it's going to be very intriguing. You mentioned Tyler Shuck. You mentioned Bo Nix. Here's the thing about it. The teams that Oregon struggled against a year ago offensively, When first of all, when you think of Texas Tech, and you just touched on all the preseason love they're getting, they didn't make the AP top 25. They're the next team out getting votes. They would be number 26. When you think of, of Zach Kitley and this offense with what they've done under Joey McGuire, you think aggressive, going forward on fourth down, up-tempo, more snaps per game than any team in the country. Well, a year ago, 84 snaps per game. Well, last year, Oregon struggled against Oregon State. They lost to them 38-34. Oregon State, again, used tempo, ripped off 83 snaps. They struggled against Washington. Washington used tempo, ripped off 79 snaps and found a way to 37 to 34 to knock off the Ducks. So Dan Lenning hasn't handled that, at least in his first year at Oregon, as well as you might think. So going onto the road and what's going to be an incredibly hostile environment when Lubbock's cooking, Lubbock's cooking, those tortillas oh, are flying. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a tough place to play when those folks are believing and those folks are going to be believing early in the season. And it's, it's no holds barred. You step out into this basically knife fight in the middle of the desert and, and you're asked, it's all hands on deck. You're going to face 80 plus snaps. Uh, even with the new rules, something tells me they're going to find a way to approach or get to uh, something in the ballpark of 80 snaps and ask Oregon to defend it. So Bo Nix better bring his A game because I think he's going to be asked for Oregon to keep pace with Tyler Shuck and that Texas Tech offense and that environment in Lubbock. So that's, that's a fascinating one. But a couple that I would pivot to as well, uh, Utah at Baylor, you mentioned that being a future Big 12 conference game. I mean, look, if you're a defensive connoisseur, it doesn't get much better than Kyle Winningham on the road against Dave Aranda, right? So uh, there's a lot to love there. Uh, Cam Rising, 
I'm a big believer that he's the gritty type of football player that can find a way to will your team to wins in environments like this. Utah, very effective at running the football. Utah, you know what you're getting on the defensive side of the football. Nothing travels better than a solid run game and a solid defense. And and then when you look at Baylor, look, this is Jeff Grimes running the show offensively. Jeff Grimes' reliable, violent offense, this RVO offense. Well, he's very familiar with Utah from his days at BYU. So this isn't a foreign test to him. So there, there's a lot of B plots in this thing to keep an eye on. But I think those fascinate me. Uh, and then I'd like to hit on the Cincinnati at Pitt game. Yes. You know, it, yes, you're catching Cincinnati in a rebuild, no doubt about it. Pitt's a lot more loaded in terms of what they got coming back than Cincinnati. It's it's definitely a, a stark transition year for the Bearcats with the new staff. But when you look at Scott Satterfield, when he faced – the Pitt Panthers a year ago and won this game 24 to 10 when he was the head coach at Louisville. Part of the difference in that football game was athleticism at the quarterback spot. Malik Cunningham was very effective. He was a true legitimate dual threat. And if you got Emory Jones as your starter, then maybe there's some creative things that he can do there. But before we finalize week two, probably with the uh, uh, Oklahoma State Arizona State game, I'd like to get your thoughts on the Cincinnati Pitt game. I think it's it's a very – I hate to use the term look ahead because I think sometimes it gets blown out of proportion. But in this game in particular, I think this is a, a very easy look ahead situation because you got West Virginia on deck. You beat them last year, but you got to go down to Morgantown. You know you're going to have to strain and fight in a crazy atmosphere that you've probably never played in before. And you just think, oh, Cincinnati, it's just probably this new team in the Big 12. It's going to struggle. They're going to be in a rebuild, their first-year head coach, and it's it's going to be a walk in the park. I don't get that feeling at all. And I, I do believe Cincinnati is going to be one of the bottom two or three teams in the league. But they're going to be competitive. And I think they can easily sneak up. And I, I don't think they're going to beat Pitt, but I think they can give them – a lot to handle and Pitt's going to come out of that Cincinnati game with a lot to work on heading into West Virginia game. And one more thing to think about from a matchup standpoint, because football is a game of matchups, right? When we talk about Cincinnati, what is their strength with Dante Corleone and company? It's along the defensive line. Don't just think you can show up and effectively run the football on Cincinnati, much like West Virginia bottled up Pitt's run game a year ago to a large extent. So if Pitt comes out struggling and you're breaking in a new quarterback, that might get a little more intriguing than people think. But I think the fundamental difference between the new quarterback with Pitt this year versus the new quarterback last year, this is a guy who actually played in this system when he was at Boston College. So he's not starting from point A, he's starting kind of point C. But, uh, yeah, if Cincinnati can bottle up that Pitt run game and make it a little more disjointed in some of these new faces that they're going to be rolling out offensively, it could get kind of interesting. Yeah, Uh Last couple of games here in week two, you got Iowa at Iowa State. That's always a, a fun game to watch. Fun in quotes, I guess, because that's Take the fun. under, right? Yeah. <laughs> you got you got There's... John Eacock against Phil Parker, <laughs> the number one defense in the Big Ten and just about every key metric, the number one defense in the Big 12, just about every key metric. Uh, this Cyhawk Bowl, the only difference is with all the craziness again, this was a 10 7 shootout last yeah. year at the other venue. I would expect something similar this year, but with all the craziness going on in this Hawkeye or this Cyclones camp, uh, you might see a Rocco Beck at starter. Anthony Beck's kid might be starting. I mean, stay tuned for these daily developments. I mean, you just saw 
Iowa State lose arguably their best defensive lineman within the last couple of days. So yeah. this is a, a story in motion. Stay tuned. So you don't want to be struggling with these offensive issues under any circumstances, much less facing a Phil Parker defense that's about as fundamentally sound as anybody. But And then go ahead and hit that Oki State game. Yeah, I, I mean, if there's two games a year where I, I I'm not a good betting man, but I would tell you if there's two games every year you want to bet the under on, it's this game <laughs> and the Army Navy game. So lock it in. Yeah. But uh, before we move in here, or actually, you, you had one more game on that slate, right? There's uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. State is at Arizona State. Yeah. Now, again, here's what intrigues me about this: uh, new staff, fresh outlook uh, in Phoenix with Arizona State with Kenny Dillingham coming down. He was the OC at Oregon. Uh, now, last year in Stillwater, Oklahoma State kind of had their way with the Sun Devils in large measure because they effectively ran the football. They ran for 197 yards. But, uh, you know, here's the deal. Spencer Sanders isn't stepping through that door. You're breaking out Alan Bowman. So out of the gates, uh, yes, Alan Bowman's life can be made a lot easier. Once again, you see a theme emerging here in these games. If they can effectively run the football to provide some pretense of balance to help Bowman out, going on the road, a new coach, a new environment. There's going to be some energy around that program, around that fan base, that what the future might hold. Uh, can can they run the ball nearly as effectively as they did a year ago with a retooled offensive line? That's a big question. I don't know if it's going to be quite as simple. So uh, high alert for the Cowboys going on the road to Phoenix. Absolutely. Also, uh, thank you to GoMart here to keep you going. Make sure you're signing up for your GoMart rewards. And I love how the schedule works out. You know, with week two, that's West Virginia Duquesne week, and it's it's a night game, but you got all these big games that you actually can watch before the West Virginia game comes on. So it works out great. Uh, week three, you have, of course, the backyard brawl pit at West Virginia, primetime game. That's going to be an absolutely nuts atmosphere. You've got Kansas State at Missouri, BYU at Arkansas is the three that I have listed. I believe yep. you probably have the same. Which – which of the other two from the backyard ball brawler is, is your eyes going to be more on K-State at Missouri or BYU at Arkansas? Well, for different reasons, they're both intriguing, but I'd lean more toward the K-State game because heading yeah. in, the stakes are going to be so high. The more you win, the more they matter. And, of course, they're defending Big 12 champs. And so now the question becomes the next step in Chris Kleinman continuing to build that program, can they handle prosperity? I mean, Bobby Bowden always said, when you're build, building or rebuilding a program, there are four steps. You lose big, you lose close, you win close, you win big. Well, the fifth step, if there is one, would be, okay, how do you handle winning big? Yeah. So, uh, And something tells me Chris Kleinman is going to have the recipe in order to do that. Uh, again, a year ago, they blew the doors off Missouri. The only thing that concerned me, that's locker room kind of, you know, one-sided blowout. In other words, Missouri, that game did not sit well with them at all. Deuce ran for a buck 45. Deuce isn't around anymore. That's a big loss. Malik knows is a big loss. You're going to be leaning much more heavily on Will Howard as you step into this. But Missouri has spent the better part of the offseason, I promise you, uh, pretty upset about that outcome last year uh, in uh, the Little Apple. So I expect them to be fully prepared. And uh, you probably see a bit more of a tussle. Uh, and Columbia is a tough place to play. West Virginia, we just saw that in Neil's first year. I mean, that that place can be very impressive as a venue. Uh, so if you, if you get them, that, that that's a tough out. The BYU-Arkansas game it interests me for a couple reasons. It's another stout test for BYU. These are the type of games that BYU has traditionally played as an independent. They played this quasi-Power 5 schedule with games like Arkansas on it for the better part of the last several years. 
going on the road, a lot of you expected about Arkansas from Arkansas with KJ Jefferson back behind center, uh, a legitimate dual threat playmaker. I mean, they have a lot of problems for any defense offensively. And for a defense with a brand new coordinator, completely rebuilt, trying to find itself again after they struggled so mightily down the stretch and had to jettison their coordinator last year, BYU, this is a tough, tough situation early in the year to be stepping out to Arkansas, hoping that you have those answers. And in some way, it kind of reminds me from a matchup standpoint, because last year, Arkansas opened the season at home against Cincinnati, but that was a much more loaded Cincinnati team. This, right. this game has parallels to that game if you ask me and that's a game that arkansas survived 31 to 24 they won that football game there's there's some similarities between that matchup with a much more loaded cincinnati team and what you got with what's expected to be a pretty talented byu offense but it's going to be looking for some answers on the defensive side yeah and i know we don't really have a full non-conference slate in week four but i have to mention the battle for the iron skillet SMU, TCU. I don't know why. I, I My wife asks me this every year. I turn the SMU, TCU game on. She's like, why do you always watch that game? I'm like, it's awesome. It's fun. It's heated. It's rivalry. It's battle for Dallas. It's, I, I don't know. It's always, it seems like it's always exciting. It always has a big moment in it. Um, I love me the battle of the iron skillet. That's just me. The Sunny Dykes Bowl. Yeah, know, yes, it's, uh, yes. It's yeah. like neither one of those programs, those those programs both so desperately don't want they want to avoid yielding an inch to the other program. Uh and right now, obviously, heavy advantage to TCU. Oh, yeah. Uh it, 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 look what they did last year. I mean, they're in he every headliner and in every living room down there in North Texas. But but uh traditionally, when you look at those two programs, they 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 both recognize, look, I don't think there's room in this town for the both of us kind of deal. Yeah at least the both of us to prosper the way we could. So, okay, who's going to give that inch? And neither one of them want to do so, but uh, recently advantaged TCU, obviously. Yeah, and with SMU's future kind of up in the air, I know they've been linked to the ACC. If they go to the ACC or another power conference that's not the Big 12, what's that going to do that a non-conference schedule? We, we've heard Neil Brown talk about it. You really just want to keep that one rival and then place two lesser opponents because you don't want to load your overload your schedule. So I would assume SMU and TCU would probably look at that and say that's their one game they want to have on the schedule every year. But I don't know. Um, I think that's, that's a good place to end. Um, again, we're going to look at West Virginia's schedule in depth on our next show. Um, we're going to talk about their history against the uh, AP Top 25 and just what that all looks like from the coach's standpoint, the quarterbacks. Jed's got a terrific breakdown, so be sure to check that out. Also, one final thank you from Fortis for Roof Performance and Financial Security Guarantee. Make sure to visit fortis.us.com. For Jed Drenning, the signal caller, I'm Skylar Callahan. And be in the ear, tell an ear about your new favorite WVU podcast. You've been in the gun. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.